Hello and welcome to All Things Urticaria from MedThority. In this series of podcasts, our host, Professor Marcus Maurer, is joined by his friends and colleagues to discuss all things urticaria. Over to Professor Maurer. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of All Things Urticaria. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm very happy to have Torsten Subabi with me, friend, colleague, and guideline expert, and that's exactly what we will be talking about. Hi, Torsten. Hi, Marcus. I'm glad I'm on the board. Look, it's only a couple of days before we will be revising and updating during our next consensus conference the international guideline for urticaria. Are you excited? What are you looking forward to? Well, actually, I'm, I'm truly excited. You do know, of course, that I'm doing this since the year 2000, every four years, and it's it's increasingly becoming fun over the years with more and more societies worldwide joining in, and, and it's really global. So this is a oh. guideline that's 20 years old, Torsten. Marcus, Marcus, you're wrong. Not as usual. Usually you're not wrong. No, the guideline, of course, is not 20 years old. The initiative, the idea, the background is 20 years old. We've got a history to tell and we've got a future to pave. And it's time, four years. The last guideline was in 2016. We had the consensus conference, but it's time to meet again and to, to revise. So every four years, the guideline is being updated, and this is quite a lengthy process. So we have been working as the expert panel and author group on the uh, current recommendations. We've been thinking about new recommendations, and all of this is ready for discussion and voting in Berlin for the consensus conference. Now, the year of the pandemic, Torsten, how is that going to work out? How can we bring all participants' input on board in these difficult times? Well, let me say, uh, I am as disappointed as you, as everybody else in the world. This is absolutely horrible. It's horrible for the people, but it's also horrible for science um, because it's much more difficult. But we do find ways. We do have set up very, very good systems now to meet virtually, to um, really have online voting processes, um, to ensure that everybody who is not able to travel to Berlin, and unfortunately, I know friends worldwide have problems coming, although, although I have to say, we do have quite a number of people coming and being here, um, of course, with all hygiene standards, um, making sure nobody is being infected at the consensus conference. But, but actually, well, that's reality. Um, we have to find ways, but we have found very good ways. So definitely everybody who wants to join in is able to join in. And we will have not only the panel, but also the audience again, being there, listening, and being able to raise their voice and raise their comments and even do the voting process as we've done it over all the last episodes of guideline consensus conferences. That will be quite exciting. I'm also looking forward to it. A whole new model bringing on board the old principles, of course, um, and that is to have as many voices heard as we update and revise the recommendations. Uh, Torsten, look, this guideline is often referred to as the international guideline for urticaria, but the title is quite a mouthful, no? It's the European Academy of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, Galen 
EDF and VAO guideline. What's up with that? What what does that mean? Can you explain a little bit? Uh, I can tell you. Actually, it means also modesty. Um, to be quite frank, I've been doing it in the very, very beginning um, in the year 2000. It was only the European Academy for Dermatology. And then the other academies joined in. And in 2004, we started with the network activities of Galen, the Global Allergy Network, now being really worldwide, originally a European initiative, but now it's worldwide. Now, um, Galen's really the driving force between um, all these other societies. But um, Yaki is our mother. Galen is really um, born out of the need to come together in Europe and, and talk together and do research together. And Yaki European Academy of Allergy was really, really helpful for that. And then, of course, other societies join in and, and those in the title, to be quite frank, producing a guideline is expensive. We don't get any pharmacy, pharmaceutical industry money for that, um, but we get donations. And um, those in the title, they really support also financially. But I think more important is, is the initiative itself. More than, uh, I think now it's 50 societies worldwide join in into the process. And uh, that's why we really like to call it international, or maybe we should call it global guideline for urticaria. Good point. No, it reflects the interdisciplinary approach, dermatologists, allergists, general practitioners, pediatricians, scientists working together and all of this backed by far-reaching societies. Uh, excellent. Um, Torsten, let's go a little bit into detail. Of course, we don't know what the outcome of the consensus conference will be, but let's share with our listeners some of the key issues that have been debated over the last year. And I want to start with uh, diagnostic and classification and nomenclature. Now, I'm pretty sure we won't change the nomenclature, but we may be discussing updates on the diagnostic workup, taking into consideration that looking for the underlying cause is not the only reason to do diagnostics. How do you feel about this? Um, should we discuss um, diagnostic tests that come into play to identify comorbidities or biomarkers, predictors? What's your opinion on this? Uh, Marcus, you're absolutely right. There are different aspects. Number one, if science changes, if evidence changes, we need to be alert and we need to follow the new knowledge. And then, of course, diagnostics may change and we need to discuss that. On the other hand, regarding the classification, the nomenclature, I'm, I'm truly, truly happy that we have come to consensus and that we speak one language worldwide. You remember those old days when people were talking about chronic idiopathic urticaria. No, please, please um, delete that term from your memories. And we have now said it's chronic urticaria, either spontaneous or inducible. This helps. We need to speak one language, otherwise everything ends up in confusion in publications. Everything is mixed together. We don't need that. So regarding diagnostics, oh, yes, please. But hey, there's a but. Um, I wish we had more knowledge already on specific biomarkers of subtypes. Um, there will be a little bit of discussion, but there will most likely be no fundamental change as uh, there is not so much new diagnostic tools we have. We just have to refine them. 
Thurston, the move in urticariology over the last years is towards endotypes of chronic spontaneous urticaria, where we acknowledge that, well, it's one disease, but just like in asthma and in other chronic inflammatory diseases, there are different underlying pathomechanisms. Is the time ripe to include that in the guideline to guide physicians on how to identify underlying endotypes, or as you say, maybe we don't have enough information and markers as of yet. Uh, I think you touched a very, very relevant point. It's all over the place in allergy, atopic dermatitis, asthma, urticaria. We do acknowledge patients have subgroups which we sometimes don't really understand yet. Some people respond better to an antihistamine than others. Um, now, these endotypes, we need to do more research to better define them. At this moment, we don't have the tools that we can say, hey, do one blood test and you actually know he's going to respond to anti-IG or he's better responding to something else. But, and that is relevant, we need to create awareness. Doctors need to learn to listen carefully to their patients and to better understand. And, and that is a very important message. If a therapy does not help, don't wait months and months and keep poor patients with a bad quality of life. No, um, revise your strategies. And then we need to learn. And I'm, I'm happy to say we've got the UCAN network, the sub-network of, of Galen and the core initiative centers of reference and excellence. This will help to better identify further subtypes and endotypes in urticaria. Thurston, let's move to monitoring. Now, I think we all have realized over the last years that the best medication can only be the best treatment with good monitoring. And that is assessing patients before we start treatment and even more important, while patients are on treatment to, well, optimize the use of the medication that we recommend. Um, I know that the angioedema control test is up for vote to be included in this updated version of the guideline. How do you feel about this? Are we making the guidelines too complicated by including so many tools or is that exactly what we need to do? Recommend the tools that are helpful in clinical practice? I think in the end, in clinical practice, um, what's practical will actually win. We do need these tools, definitely do need these tools. We need them in the guidelines and we definitely need them for all research for clinical trials and we need them validated and as you said the angioedema control test is validated now like the urticaria control test um, in clinical practice of course um, we need to also consider doctors all over the world don't have that much time so i expect that this will be a suggestion to use it in clinical practice but to be quite honest um, Many physicians will say, hey, well, it, it doesn't really help me. It, it takes up too much time. So now we have to help those physicians. Um, these tools can be based uh, in a way that the patient does it himself. And we should further look into ways of electronic diaries, of apps, where we can then um, use these tools and the doctor 
sees the patient coming with his electronic output and then knows, oh, oh, he's good. Or maybe the patient himself gets the information. Oh, go and see your doctor. You've got a worsening of disease. And then we have these step up, step down concepts like we have it in other allergic diseases. Currently, the guideline says re-evaluate every three months. But to be quite honest, um, it's a little bit more fluctuating in some patients. And um, potentially, we need to fine tune this better in the, in the future. Agree with you. And I have to say the UCT and the ACT, the control tests are the easiest tools to use. You know, with their four questions, less than a minute time for patients to complete, gives you a, a complete picture and does it quickly, actually saves time. So I'll be looking forward to that discussion during the consensus conference. Thorsten, um, your task force within the expert panel dealt with new therapeutics and new recommendations or updated recommendations on the treatment. Anything you would like to share? Any sneak preview? <laughs> Definitely, Marcus. Uh, you know as well as I do, and, and I think many people out there, um, we've got an exciting time in, in allergy, in medicine, but especially also in urticaria with new drugs coming up. We've got legalizumab, the, the most advanced drug, as a new anti-RGE, apparently much stronger than omalizumab, although omalizumab was a, a a game changer. It was a breakthrough. It was the one thing we've been looking for for so many years. And um, you've been so helpful in, in these pivotal studies in the 2012-2014 already. Now, much more is, is really around the corner. It's not licensed yet, but we need to discuss these possibilities. This is the one thing. That's the exciting. That's the novel drugs. On the other hand, we also have to acknowledge um, there are areas in the world where we have high financial constraints and reimbursement problems or no reimbursement at all. So we also have to have a better look at old drugs um, supporting um, the health in, in areas where the better drugs cannot be afforded. And if we have a global guideline, um, we really have to have an open mind with one problem. The old drugs like Dapsone, which is which is a good drug, it's got side effects. Um, they have not as much evidence. Clinical trials are missing, and especially what what I'm said, what we need is trials identifying special endotypes where some of older drugs might also be helpful. But but it's a very very fascinating question. But but. We are in the lucky position here in Germany, um, in Europe, that we have access to the newest drugs, and this will be an exciting time to come. Exciting time to be. Um, one of the most exciting developments to me is what is happening in chronic inducible urticaria. Now, these are neglected urticarias, and you know all we have are antihistamines, really, because omalizumab is not licensed for this group of diseases yet. We are looking at many programs where new treatment approaches are being developed for chronic inducible urticaria. And we may see that some drugs have a differential response in different forms of chronic inducible urticaria or um, comparing chronic inducible urticaria and chronic spontaneous urticaria. Is it still adequate 
to have one guideline, one size fits all, chronic UTK area, this is what our recommendation is on, entailing CSU and SINDU, or will we be moving to more granular recommendations for SINDU versus CSU, or even for individual chronic inducible UTK areas? Now that's a very interesting question you ask. Now, first answer, I strongly believe we need one guideline answering all these questions. Why? Because many patients with urticaria have more than one subtype. Chronic spontaneous urticaria together with um, symptomatic dermographism with cold urticaria. That's the first answer. On the other hand, I do agree with you. Um, one size fits all approach may be outdated. I don't think it's outdated at the moment, but it should have an extra part looking at those inducible urticarias where we already know more, have no possibilities. But but as you know, alone in cold urticaria, we have got nine subtypes which may need different approaches. And um, at the moment, we don't, of course, have the evidence. Um, that, again, means that we have to be really, really alert on what's going on. But at the, this time, I strongly believe we should have one guideline looking at everything. It's like in other diseases like psoriasis, um, where you wouldn't have a special guideline for psoriasis arthritis, but you would include arthritis in the overall guideline or a guideline on asthma where the different phenotypes and endotypes of asthma are covered in one guideline. But that's my belief. Um, uh, I, I do know that ha there has been a special guideline on Sindhus in the past. True. Um, I agree with you that the more knowledge comes our way, the more granular our recommendations need to be. And, you know, we have to be ready for a situation where uh, we have efficacy of a treatment approach in one specific Sindhu, but not in others. And that's when we think uh, um, to bring specific recommendations to individual Sindhus, I think. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I just want to agree with you. But, and that and that's a little bit of a but, um, the, uh, this should be mentioned. I believe in the future we will have an algorithm which is not as simple. And I do hope already in this guideline, we've been discussing this in the management group, um, and I can give you this preview already. Um, the original guideline had an algorithm step one, two, three, four. This is too simple. We will have an algorithm which is much more refined and um, the first sketches for this algorithm. Unfortunately, you don't know that yet, Marcus. And that's only fair that also you get a pre-glimpse on that. Um, but I've been sitting together with Clive and others in this management group, and um, we, we try to be more refined in this algorithm. So um, stay tuned in until we've got the guideline well, I conference. I cannot wait, Torsten. And I bet there's some surprises from our group as well, diagnostics and classification. So it will be a little bit new and a little bit known when we meet in Berlin for the consensus conference. Dorsten, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for sharing your ideas, your thoughts. I want to finish with the genie question. Here comes the genie, your way, and you have three wishes. 
Three wishes that must relate to the guideline. What do you ask your genie to do for you? Okay, first of all, I'd ask the genie to have afterwards three more wishes regarding some other things than the guideline. You didn't want to hear that. I know, I know. Okay, genie, um, my first wish is make people aware around the world we've got a serious disease. It's trivialized, but we need the support of our fellow physicians, not only dedicated in allergy, but general practitioners to really help our patients, number one. Number two, Ginny, we need more evidence, we need more science, we need honestly more funding for good clinical trials also in drugs which are not the newest newcomers, but we need to better understand the different endotypes and therefore, we need more money in research to do that and, and help us, Jeannie, with the UCARE network. We've got a good platform. This would be great. And this is actually paving then the guideline for 2024. Now, Jeannie, um, to be modest, my last wish for this guideline is make it a success story that everybody will be happy, although we have this COVID-19 times. Ginny, I know you can't um, blow it away COVID-19, but you can do your very best to have a good guideline meeting in December. Thank you, Ginny. Thank you, Torsten. It was great to have you people out there, patients, colleagues, everyone. Thank you for joining this episode on All Things Urticaria, your podcast series from the UCARE Network. Please tune in to another episode coming soon and stay healthy. Bye. Medthority would like to thank Marcus Maurer for that fascinating insight into UCARE. If you have any other questions regarding urticaria, please feel free to ask us via our website www.medthority.com. Remember to tune in for the next episode of All Things Urticaria. From all of us at All Things Urticaria from Medthority, have a lovely week.